Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. This is episode 27. So you're now the Worshipful Master, and we are your host tonight. I am Greg Knott. I'm Bill Hostler. And I'm Darren Laners. We are going to do a roundtable of kind of talking about our experience as Worshipful Master Throwing in some advice, being the the three grumpy guys, even though Darren is still, he's recycled and back into the chair that he'll talk about. And we just thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about what our experiences are, because that's, that's a big part of masonry is talking about back in my day when we did it. We'll have a little fun, but actually, uh, hopefully also offer some serious observations based on experience. You know, you get these jobs and you tend to learn very quickly by a school of hard knocks, and I, I think you'll probably see that come out in the uh, the conversation. So why don't we go around a little bit, just talk just very briefly about our uh, when and where we were masters, and then we'll kind of get into our uh, questions and examine the life of the worshipful masters. So my first trip through the East was in St. Joseph Lodge, number 970, about in 2011, and I had been a Mason for four years and uh, actually had joined St. Joseph as a plural member and it was on life support. I mean, they were one or two meetings away from closing the doors. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't make a quorum. I think that that year in 2008 or seven, they had met quorum maybe six of the 12 times. And so I joined and uh, another brother joined and essentially, we said, hey, give us a chance. Let, let, let's see if we can do some things here and, and get it going. So we did and did a lot. And we, I guess I can reflect on that as we go. But so within four years, I was in the East. And actually, I would have had a quicker trip there. But I said, no, I want to at least experience a, a couple of the chairs, especially the warden's positions, before I got to the East. When I was senior warden, the, the master before me, his uh, his wife had gotten ill, and he was not able to attend probably the last three quarters of the year. So by default, I was the next guy in line. So I had to jump up and uh, was acting master, and then did my year. And then I'll get into you know more details. And then my second trip to the east was in Ogden Lodge, number seven hundred and fifty-four, which is my home lodge, the one I was raised in. And I just finished a two-year term through the East uh, this past summer. And so I had a pretty good gap in time. Each of those lodges was different. And uh, I'll give you some observations as we go as to what I saw the difference. Let me pass it over to Bill for his experience. Well, I was raised with a sublime degree in Three Rivers Lodge, number 733 in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in 2002. To be perfectly honest, I had never actually intended ever be an officer. I really never had thought about it. And then my very first meeting as a Master Mason, I came in and they sat me down in the junior warden's seat just to fill in, as I was told. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything. Oh, just sit there. Just follow what the other guy does. And so I did. I stood up. I grabbed the rod. And then I sat down when he sat down. And after a few months later, I ended up getting moved to the senior steward spot. And then I just started getting progressed, and in 2007, I served as Worshipful Master. It was kind of a big deal for that lot because I was the first new master that hadn't been a recycled master in quite a few years, so they were all really tickled. And Grandmaster Jim Barkdale came and he actually installed me, and it was a grand time, but 
It was quite the year. I will never forget it. It's sort of like any other tragic event. You tend to remember most of it. <laughs> I enjoyed my year, but it was very challenging. And we'll get into the rest of it later this evening. But it's definitely something that every Mason probably should experience. But the one thing I do remember the most was is when it got to be October of my year, I only had like two months left. We were I was sitting in the shrine bar room with a couple of brothers who were past masters and I asked one of them, I says, Well you got to be at this point in your in your term. Was you really excited to think that it was almost over and all of Oh my God, yes. I was so sick and I Okay, so it's not just me. It was quite a challenging year, so but you probably if with a little bit of planning and a little bit of reasonable thought and some help, you could make it a great year if you really tried really hard. And I, like Greg, was also master, and I'm the current master of St. Joseph Lodge number 970 in St. Joseph, Illinois. My first turn through the East in St. Joe was 2017. I started my term June of 2017. The next year, in June of 2018, I became master of Homer Lodge number 199 in Homer, Illinois. And this past June, I was installed virtually as master of St. Joseph 970 yet again. We'll talk here in a bit about some of the challenges I had. I don't want to waste all my bullets right now. Just to echo some of what Bill said, uh, it is uh, an experience like you probably will have never had previously in your life. That's kind of the R3 intros, and it's funny. That year, you're, what you think it will be and what it often turns out to be maybe aren't always the same thing. And uh, I think that's part of the growing experience, the learning experience that you uh, have out of it. When I went to St. Joe, I mean, like I was saying, we were on the verge of closing the doors. We had to, to reach out, and we, we talked to some other lodges. Ray Cummings, who was our district deputy, was just wonderful, and he came numerous times to help us make a quorum and encourage us and coach us because there we were, two, three of us brand new, had never done any of the ritual, didn't know really what it was to, to go through the chairs and that kind of a thing. But the interesting thing was because I didn't know, there really weren't any rules in regards to what was, there was nothing off limits in terms to try it to save that lodge. And Ray was just a wonderful coach and mentor throughout those early years, especially. And uh, he, he drove tens of miles to make sure that we were going to succeed. And so we were trying crazy things, you know, let's all, let's do an open house, invite some people. And, and nobody told us it wouldn't work. I mean, I guess that was, that was one neat benefit we had. And so we just started brainstorming who were our connections. Several of us were involved in scouting, and so, well, let's look around the room. Who's the other adults in scouting? And we got them involved, and we got a school superintendent, and then, you know, some of his other fellow superintendents came, and then we were really going. And uh, and so we were getting the momentum, and it was fun. As I kept journeying around the to the east, was uh, some good things. One thing I had a goal of, I found early on, Masonic Service Association had at the time an award called the Mark Twain Award. And what it was was a set of criteria that they had put out that they had a panel of people that would judge you against the, those criteria to see how your lodge did. And I became convinced that we needed to get that award. So I read about it maybe in probably 2008 or nine as I was searching for things, to how to get the lodge going and, and get some the motivation and the energy going. And so I found this award. And I saw very few lodges got it. And I was like, well, we're going to go for this. So we did. And I, I wrote it up and submitted that. And so in 2011, we received the Mark Twain Award. We were the only lodge in Illinois that's ever received it. Since that time, it's been phased out, discontinued. I think it was probably growing faster than their resources allowed. But what it did, it gave me a set of goals and a target. And uh, if I had to give any solid advice on anything, it's lay out some goals 
to see if you can meet those. And you need to do it earlier than your first month into the East. And good planning would be you start thinking about these things as maybe even your term as junior warden because you have to be ready to implement it. And if you don't have uh, a plan or some uh, goals, well, what you end up doing is being where I think most lodges are, and that is they're just floating month to month. Everybody shows up. They look at each other. The short amount of business is done, and then you, you're you done in less than an hour, and, and people start to wonder why you're going to meetings. My advice was have a plan, and, and I kind of lucked into finding that, that plan. And uh, also we used the – in Illinois they have the Grand Master's Award of Excellence, and I wanted that too. I wanted to see if we could get it. And so we utilized that outline, again, as some of the activities. And it was a motivator, not just for me. It wasn't something I solely wanted to do. I uh, talked about it with others, and they were excited. And so that's what we uh, we shot for. And I think that really helped us focus early on on having those goals. And so that's my early advice as we uh, talk about this. So, Bill, what was your experience? I mean, were you kind of in that phase where it was month to month or did you come in with a plan or what was your experience early on? I'd always heard that if you were really serious about being a good master, you should start planning just about your year as junior warden and have your plans really in concrete the year you're senior warden. So that way, once you're installed, you pretty much have things in place and ready to go. And, and I, I took that to heart, and I had a schedule figured out for the most part. So I thought I was really set. But best laid plans, as the old saying goes. The biggest problem I had that year in my is I had several personal problems that happened that year that I did not foresee. And that took up a lot of my time, and it really just took a lot of pain in my family. And so I didn't get to really devote as much time to the lodge as I wanted to. But some of the plans that I did have, like once, for example, is I wanted to pass out Chris Hodap's Freemason for Dummies to any new Master Mason that was raised that year. And I thought it was a great resource. We always pass out the Bible. I thought this would be a nice thing. Everybody likes having the Bible, and they'll put it on their shelf, but... I really believe few read it. But I thought since that was really a hot book at the time, that the guys would read it and they would really gain a lot of knowledge about being a Mason from that book, as they do today. Well, so many of the brethren in my lodge took umbrage to the name Dummies. And they didn't like that. They didn't like how it was going to cost so much to do it. They didn't want to go through the necessary problem of of changing the bylaws to adding that in the cost of the initiation fee, all that, it got voted down. And several other things got voted down during that time that I brought. It was more of a more of a progressive bent. And most of that was pretty much shot down. I, I don't know whether I tried to change too much or whether I just was too ambitious. But there were a lot of, I guess you'd say, strong personalities in my lodge, and they did not want to budge. And that's fine, because the majority of the brethren in my lodge at the time, they like to go up to the lodge, they like to open, they like to get the stuff done, they would get up and they would close, if you're lucky, 45 minutes, and close, vacate the building, go down to the shrine and drink the $2 pitcher of beer, and until one, two in the morning when they kicked you out and went home. And I'm not against that. Don't get me wrong. Because I enjoy doing it too, but they just kind of wanted to really take care of most of the lodge business down in the Shrine Bar, for better or for worse. I mean, they got a lot done down there, but it's really not the way that it should be done. But that was kind of the biggest problem. And we had a couple of members that blackballed some several applicants that we had, and that didn't work out very well, and it just got to be a whole real mess. <laughs> and I was really tickled to see my senior warden assume that position that year. As, as they were taking me out and putting him in, I felt like being like Sam Kinison screaming, I hate you all, and running out after as he was put in the chair. But <laughs> I think I had a good idea. It's just that 
some of the things I was just a little too ambitious on. So, Darren, I'm curious. You followed me by five or six years in the East in, at St. Joe. What were your observations and reflections of your first trip through the East there? So I was very naive going into the East. Uh, I thought I was going to change the world, and I didn't really <laughs> do any of that. Uh, it's funny, uh, having been now, this is my third time in the East, you're, every time you go through the chair, your perceptions of the role change. And I, I don't want to get into that. I want to focus on that first year's virtual master. But that being said, I kind of look back at myself and laugh at uh, some of my naivety, if you will, uh, during that first year. I had a lot of big plans. I also, like Greg, wanted to uh, continue the award of excellence that the Grandmaster gives out here in the state of Illinois. I had plans for uh, events to help engage the community and also plans to try to get some of the brethren up to the lodge outside of meeting night. And the big thing I learned about uh, planning is, A, be prepared for the plan to go sideways. Nothing ever goes according to plan. And B, and this took some experience for me because I took it really personally, was not to take it personally, uh, not to take things going wrong or people not showing up for events that you thought they were going to show up for or any of that personally. And that literally probably took the entire year for me to to get to that point uh, where I wasn't taking things so personally anymore. So all that being said, my first term through the East in St. Joe, and now my second time through the East in St. Joe, I was worship master while there were massive building projects going on. The first time we had to have the stairs uh, replaced, we have a long set of stairs up to the second floor where the lodge room is located in our building, and we had to replace those stairs. This time around, we're replacing the roof, so uh, I seem to think that they only wait until they need a building project done to elect me worship master. That's my own personal opinion. Those would be my big two takeaways or three takeaways. Plan. Don't be upset when things don't go to plan and don't take things so personally. So I remember uh, Darren and I on a Friday night, we were going to have a movie night. And uh, well, we did. And it was just Darren and I up there. So we went ahead and watched the movies anyway, because we thought maybe other other folks were going to come. And I think, as Darren said, you know, the Things happened, and it was well-intentioned, and they just didn't make it. But nonetheless, Darren and I had a movie night at St. Joe Lodge, and we made some microwave popcorn and had a pretty good time with it. So I, I think it was it was kind of fun looking back. Darren brings up a very good point is to expect the unexpected. In, in his two years here, it is ironic that as those were two of the bigger uh, the projects we've done to that building. And, and the stairs, well, obviously you have to have solid stairs to get upstairs. And, of course, the roof is uh, those kind of physical projects, they, they just consume you. Because in our case, uh, we've had to arrange the financing and you got to get the buy-in from the members themselves. And when you only meet once a month, you may spend five or six meetings planning, talking, doing, reporting. Well, all of a sudden, you're, half your year's gone. And so it's, it is those, those kind of things that you don't know what's going to impact uh, your year. Since at least your first meeting in the East, we are naive, and I remember going back, it was sort of early internet days, it was certainly pre-Facebook, so it wasn't uh, quite as crazy out there on the digital domain, and I was looking for resources. And one of the things, I, of course, I found Chris Hodap's book, Freemasons for Dummies, and it, as Bill indicated, really it's a great book, it's a great overview of what Freemasonry is, and gives you some definitions, etc. But I was really interested in seeing what you could do as the master for ideas. And one of the early things I read was the Knights of the North, which was written uh, mostly by a group of guys out of Indiana, The you know, many of them that Bill knows. And I, I looked at that and I thought, boy, there's some neat ideas in there. And of course, I had no idea who these guys were. Ended up, of course, years later, I met them through the Masonic Society and whatnot. But it was that book, which was a quick read, which really kind of got me on the 
know, the way to thinking about how we could build that lodge and get some uh, new blood in there. And uh, so that's what I was looking for. I was looking through Grand Lodge web pages, and, and there's all kinds of resources, I'm sure, still out there. And so I, I was really just looking for anything. And I was, of course, asking questions to others who had been through the East. And so it was just kind of a, a potpourri of, of resources that I was trying to put together. And I actually had them in a three-ring binder. That's kind of the way I do. And I had them with me, and I referred to them several times. And uh, that's really what kind of helped me get going. Because if you haven't been a Mason very long and you end up going to the East, you just don't have a lot of history or context with which to do things. And, and Bill, your and I's experience is different because – Sound like you were in a well-established lodge where people had some probably uh, well-defined opinions on how things should or shouldn't go. But what, Bill? What did you do to prepare yourself to to take the chair? What What were your plans, or how did you plan? Did you read things? What were you looking for? Well, of course, we in the Knights of the North had a private bulletin board we used to talk on. And I got information from Chris Hodap and a few other brethren. And then there was a couple other bulletin boards that I would ask advice from. And I would do some readings on my own. And there was a book. And in fact, it's been revised several times now. And I would suggest that one of the revised versions, any new Worshipful Master incoming should check it out. I think you can get it through McCoy. It's called The Worshipful Master's Assistant. The newest version now, I think it's been updated a second time from when Alan Roberts did it. And it's probably a little more germane now than what it was back when Albert Mackey wrote it, because it's, you know, it's it's something that would probably help out any new master. But I, you know, I read those and I talked to several past masters. I talked to several past brand masters and I just, I thought that I wouldn't have that much problem, to be perfectly honest, because during the course of my life, I've been the president of several organizations. I've been, I've administered several groups and businesses. I thought, well, it can't be much different than being the president of this group or this nonprofit. And it didn't take me long to figure out it was a whole different animal, but I just tried to do as much reading as I could on anything I could find on the internet. Talk to as many brethren. You're going to get different views because each person has a different outlook and different scope of things. But just kind of take all of them and find the one that you think meets your criteria the most and just try to put them together into some type of plan that would work for you. Another good source to really get is in Indiana, it's called the Blue Book of Masonic Law. It's basically your, your Grand Lodge's law book. And really get familiar with that so you know what you can do and what you can't do by Grand Lodge Law. Study your ritual so that you know what you're going to be using to you know, to your degree work and for opening and closing. Just anything that you possibly can in your spare time, read about you know, being the master of your lodge. I would say probably the best thing that and then just Maybe even look through the minutes of your old, uh, of what your lodge has done in the past. You know, see if there's anything that they used to do that would possibly be interesting to see if you could revisit. They just, whatever you can think of that would possibly help you in that. So Darren, what, what were you looking at as you were coming in by the time you were master? Of course, that probably tons of Facebook groups and other things were, were really out there. What did you refer to as you uh, were getting ready for your trip to the East? So I don't want to rehash the, the things that Bill said, but a lot of those uh, are bylaws in our Constitution, some of the books that he mentioned. But uh, most importantly, and this is uh, a bit of advice as well that I'll give out here, I had a very good relationship with the Secretary. And our Secretary at St. Joe, he's a uh, brother named Kurt Bolding, and Kurt is uh, a unique character. He's one of my best friends. I love the guy like a brother. In fact, I just spoke to him uh, prior to the podcast. And the one great thing about Kurt is Kurt will tell you like it is, and he will not spare your feelings. And I especially think I needed that 
and Kurt was always a great sounding board and still is a great sounding board for me when I, as Worshipful Master, have ideas about things that we should or can be doing in the Lodge. And Kurt has been a member of St. Joe for a, a long time. Uh, I remember he was on my interview committee and uh, just being completely intimidated by him. That would be my bit of advice. Uh, I'd also say what I did is I had a mission statement for my first year that I drew up. Actually, I have it right here. I'll read it off. And it went, I want to make St. Joseph Lodge a better place, a place for brothers and their families to spend time and a better asset to the community, a place that men in my community want to join. I want to educate the brethren, not only using traditional education, but also teach some of the esoteric meanings of ritual as well. Lastly, I want to raise some funds by having fun. Now, did I do some of those? I think I did. I think one of the better events I did as Worshipful Master was we had a trunk or treat. The idea was that members of the community stopped by and brought some goods for our local food bank. We would give them candy, and if they were, we were all dressed in costume, and if they were dressed in costume, uh, all the better. And I think that that event was fairly successful. We were able to donate quite a bit to the food bank, and it really felt good. I remember it was a kind of a cold uh, October day when we did it, overcast, and a lot of the guys didn't want to be there, but uh, a lot of the brethren showed up for me, and it was, I, I want to say, a successful event. So I'll pass it back to Greg. One of the challenges, I think, as master, that it, now that I've done it and, of course, watched plenty of other people go through the East is you tend to be the one that has to do 80% of the work. And, you know, you're wanting your year to be successful. You're wanting to, to get people engaged. You're wanting the the lodge to, to prosper. And even in Darren's case of that mission statement, you're wanting to achieve certain things that take some background work to get in place before they happen. And what I've seen so many times the master's carrying too much of a load in the hopes that others would at some point get engaged and come along for the ride as well. And by the time your year is up, and I think Bill alluded this a little bit already, you're just like, how much time have I got left? And so what tips do you think now looking back, or Darren, in your case, still looking, <laughs> how do you not be the one doing all the work and maybe engage some of the other members to share in that burden because one of the things I, I think, I can't remember if it's at St. Joe or where we were, we finally kind of said, if we're going to have events, everybody can't just say that's a good idea because nobody will hardly disagree with you, but you also have to be part of the work. In other words, if you're going to have a pancake breakfast, it can't just be one guy showing up doing everything. How do you engage people. What did you learn? Uh, let me go Let me go to Darren and then we'll go to Bill. Darren, what did you learn that you would have either done different or advice and how to engage the membership so it's just not you doing all the work? The first thing that you have to do as worship master is entrust your brothers with uh, some responsibility. And as Greg mentioned, yes, you're going to do a lot of the, the work uh, as worship master, uh, any committees that you assign, you're a de facto member of those committee. But you still have to have some of the other brethren help bear the load. And in doing so, my greatest uh, advice that I could give is assign people to projects where what they do for a living or what their ho what hobbies they may have that you know of might help them in that role. Case in point, and Greg, uh, I think, alluded to it. We were having a conversation prior to the podcast. At St. Joe, we're undergoing this massive roof replacement project. But luckily, one of our members is an architect. So he's used to dealing with uh, contractors and in his role as an architect, uh, his architectural firm mostly designs schools. And uh, he's had to deal with uh, a lot of commercial roofing in his time. So having that expertise has helped me tremendously because I can give this task to the brother 
and just get periodic updates from him, keep the other brethren informed, and just let him do his thing and get out of the way. And that's probably the best set of advice that I could give looking back is to just find tasks for the people where their natural skills or their occupation or their uh, hobbies would come into play and assign them to those and just try to, to you're going to have to manage it, but also don't micromanage it. Uh, try to entrust those brethren with uh, those tasks and step in if you need to, but don't try to micromanage everything because if you do, you're going to burn yourself out. Bill, looking back, how do you think you could have engaged the example of buying Chris Hodap's book? How do you think you could have sold that different? And maybe you couldn't have. It may have been the same outcome, but how how would you have engaged some of the members differently in hindsight? I don't know if it, if I could have changed it because I, the name was just so odious. I, it wasn't so much the book itself. It was the name. I mean, maybe if I would have talked to Chris, I mean, he only lived two hours away. If I could have had him come up and give a presentation about the book to the brethren there. I mean, Chris is a very great orator, and he's funny as all get out. He even had a what? You know, eating out of the palm of his hand in just a couple of minutes. I mean, if I would have thought of doing that, maybe that possibly could have done it. Or maybe caught a couple of copies and spread them, you know, shared them with the group and let them look and see that it wasn't this you know, terrible book where you're calling all Freemasons dummies. I just assumed that everybody had a dummies book because, I mean, I mean, there's they have one every subject, and I don't know how many of them. That's how I learned HTML was from a dummies book. I just thought everybody used them, so I didn't really have to think about going into great detail what they were. But I think if I would have sold it a little better and just said, well, this is what I want to do, maybe that would have done it. Maybe planned it a little better and just tried to sell it a little bit more than what I did instead of just saying, this is what I want to do. Maybe that would have done it. Just I had one brother who come up to me afterwards. He says, you're not going to get that pass. I said, well, why is that? Because I thought he was just saying he thought, he said, because I'm not going to allow it. <laughs> it kind of took me aback and turned out he was right. It just didn't, didn't go. But maybe I should have been able to read the, the tea leaves of the lodge and their opinions too. Instead of just saying, well, I'm master. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this lodge really a great place. I just thought, cause you got to remember at this time, our lodge was, we tied for, 10th out of all the lodges in the Grand Lodge of Indiana for a couple of years during this period of the most raised Masons in the state of Indiana. We were, we did not have a Tuesday night off for like three or four years during that time. But we was initiating, passing, and raising Masons every Tuesday night for like three years. And so I thought, well, this is great because I could just, you could buy the book by the case and you get a great discount. And so, we're going to really have a well-informed lodge. If I would have sold it a little better, maybe had Chris come up and done it, I think we possibly could have got that book given to the brethren. So, Bill, you, you brought up a topic that's interesting in, in a year as a master, and that is if you have a lot of degree work, in, in many ways the activities kind of take care of themselves because in your case you were saying every Tuesday we'd go down and have degree work, all of a sudden, the master's not looking to fill the calendar because there's so many new people coming in. There's always something to do. Eventually, that spigot seems to, to go dry, and uh, it's been our experience locally. And uh, all of a sudden, then it's like, then you're reversing the equation. You're trying to think of, well, how can I get people in here? How can I attract their attention? What would engage them to want to join the lodge to begin with? So. And, and Bill, you've been around long enough, too. When that degree work tailed off, did the personality of the laws change or did the priorities of the laws change? What were you seeing? Honestly, the personality of the lodge, in my opinion, is what kind of caused the, the curtailing of the degree work. I had already, I ended up taking another job and going to second shift by then, so I wasn't able to attend at the time. But speaking of, that was one thing that I did have going for me during that time was 
Because, you know, every lodge has certain events they like to do, past master night, family get-together, those type things. Well, when you're going all the time and you're, you have a state of meeting on the first Tuesday night and then the other three nights of the month, the other three Tuesdays are taken up with degree work, your calendar is filled for most of that year. So basically what I would do is when I would find a Tuesday with a fifth month, uh, a fifth Tuesday of the month, that was the, that night that I used to fill the past master night or a ladies night or something like that. And so I, I had like three or four of them during that year and it was perfect how that worked out. So that's something I would definitely tell a master if he's got situations. Use those fifth days of the month for that, for your situation. But the problem was is that we had so much degree work. I think that we just kind of churned people out, told them to sit down and we'll make you a master someday. We didn't do anything with them once we got them. And I think that after a while, the people we brought in quit coming, and then they quit bringing their friends in, which had been a great resource for us. And I think that's what curtailed the thing. And then I think by that time, the, the several people who were strong personalities in that lodge, some of them had passed away, and the other ones just became the click. And i sad to say, I think they just kind of took the lodge down, and now that lodge no longer exists, they have merged with another one. And the funny thing was, is that during this period, that lodge there was about to close down and they were thinking about going with another lodge. So it seems how funny how within a course of a short few years, how the two tails of those two lodges have completely flipped and done a 180. I actually wrote a piece for the Midnight Freebases about, you got to have something besides the degree work to keep people going. So Darren, let me ask if you think of that pendulum you're going up the ramp and all of a sudden there's lots of degree work and there's lots of energy and activity. And then almost in, invariably at some point, the degree work slows down, it stops. You haven't had a new member in a couple of years. How should a master refocus in what areas? And then how do you start to, to look to get the, the new members again? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. One of the things that... I'm trying at St. Joe because at St. Joe, and I think I've said it before on the podcast, I know I've mentioned in some of the articles that I've written, we've not had a new Master Mason raised in St. Joe in over two years. I was Worshipful Master the last time we had worship, we had two candidates that were raised to the Sublime Degree. So it's been a while. And I think one of the things that has become apparent to me is that a lot of people just don't know that the Masonic Lodge still exists. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, due to the COVID situation, I've not been able to do as much community engagement as I would have liked and uh, probably won't be able to do any uh, during my term as master. But all that being said, I would say that you need to, if you are struggling with uh, getting new membership, couple things you can do. First thing is something we're going to try to take advantage of at St. Joe, and that's a program that the Grand Lodge of Illinois has. It's called Invitation to Petition. And basically, in a nutshell, what you do is you uh, identify some of your coworkers, friends, neighbors, anybody that you possibly know, and you... Um, get their information, and you bring them before the lodge. There's a form you need to fill out, uh, an application, if you will. And uh, you bring those before the lodge and talk to the the brethren about it, about these people. And basically, they will vote as to whether or not uh, to invite these gentlemen to petition. And what that does is basically, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's my understanding what that does is that basically you're voting on the brethren up front. So if they are to petition, that petition's automatically accepted and you do not have to vote on them again. Greg, is that your understanding? Yeah, it's kind of like a pre-approved credit card. I mean, hate to use that analogy, but that's kind of what it is. And I don't know that every, every jurisdiction does that, but the the individual themselves still has to petition. So it doesn't waive the petition requirement. 
what it does bring is a level of awareness to somebody that the lodge thinks they're uh, qualified and in terms of potentially being a good mason they'll still be investigated and all that doesn't really waive any of the process what it does i think is just bring some level of awareness to that so your particular jurisdiction may or may not have that it varies widely uh within all uh 50 uh, one or two uh, jurisdictions in the United States. And so I, I think that's what Darren is on target with what we're doing. Cause it, and you know, with COVID that's added a, an additional layer of frustration because the way the year has gone, you can't plan for anything because uh, you don't know where your particular area in a state is going to be in terms of COVID status or, or if you can or can't meet in Illinois, we're back to point where we haven't had the in-person meetings uh, because things tightened up. They've shut down the restaurants again for indoor dining, et cetera. So it's been almost impossible to plan uh, to do activities because what we would do with that is we'd have an invitation to petition. We would, you know, put those out there. We'd talk to those individuals, probably have a an open house of, of some kind to invite them up and have a, a Q&A with them, to, you know, to let them know what the lodge was doing. But at this point, it's been next to impossible to plan for any of that. This kind of goes to, if you listen to our last episode of the, the leadership versus management, and one of the arguments I, I kind of made in that, that, or that episode was, as the master, you're, you're doing both, and you may be, may be within minutes, you're, you're going from one role to the next. Uh, I think, you know, here in Darren's year, I, I said last time he showed a lot of leadership, to, to keep things going, but at the same time, he's also been a manager of the building project and, and those kinds of things, and so you flip that hat, and I guess that's an important thing to think about as master. Uh, of course, you're literally wearing the hat in the east, but you're also wearing several hats as you fulfill that role, and remember, you know, leadership and management are two different things, but you're probably going to need or you're going to learn some skills in both of them. And so it's that's an important thing to uh, keep in mind. Any thoughts on that, Darren? Yeah, thanks again, Greg, for uh, your, your uh, vote of confidence in me. I appreciate it. One other thing I wanted to, to discuss uh, regarding a new worshipful master, and that's lodge education. And it's not something we've gotten to, and I know that uh, we're – quickly running out of time in our episode, but I did want to bring it up considering I'm an area education officer for the Eastern Areas Grand Lodge of Illinois. One of the things that you can do as virtual master is if you are in a position in your lodge where uh, education has been lacking or you don't feel like you're getting anything out of the meetings other than handling the business, in the chair of virtual master, you can set the agenda and you can slate education in and you can put it wherever you want. So one of my recommendations uh, to a new worship master, especially one who may be uh, in a lodge where education isn't occurring or is occurring sporadically, I'm guessing most likely some of that might be due to education being placed after all the other business items and the guys are not wanting to sit there for another 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it would take to do your lodge education. So my advice would be you set the agenda, you put education as one of the first items on that agenda, and you do the education. And if they want to sit through the business of the lodge, then they can definitely uh, be given some education to begin with. And uh, that's just uh, a way to help uh, avoid those situations where education is placed last on the agenda and often dropped because you spent 50 minutes talking about uh, roof repairs, in, in my case. Yeah, Darren, you, that's an excellent point. And Homer Lodge, where Darren and I are members as well, was always kind of a, an experiment in terms of trying different things. And so to Darren's point, we have moved education there to the beginning of the meeting. And what we quickly discovered was the business part got condensed to minutes. I mean, not, not just the minutes, but in terms of time, it didn't take very long. And uh, 
we was still out of there generally just a little over an hour. But that hour was so much more productive because I think people enjoyed it. So we would open the meeting, say the pledge and do those things. And then the first part of business would be, oh, hey, guys, let's pull up some chairs and we've got a, a presentation or a, a little roundtable discussion we're going to do. And it just worked extremely well. And those were some of the best meetings that we've we've had because at the end of the night, what you what you take away is, boy, that was interesting. And you're not worrying about, oh, I wonder if they paid their rent or who's the three guys, you know, delinquent on dues, et cetera. We're not, we're not just focused on that. So I, I think that's, uh, Darren brings up a very important point. I'm also a proponent, as you guys know, of, you know, if you're the master and you have enough brethren who are actually interested in education, Pick another night besides the stated meeting and have have the presentation that night. If you got five guys show up, you don't need a quorum for it because it's not an actual stated meeting. You don't even have to make it a call meeting. Just have guys come up there and you guys can talk and have a discussion or you could give a presentation or, or whatever. As long as those people there are wanting them for education, just do that too if, it's, if there's so much pushback. It doesn't say it has to be during the stated meeting time. Yeah, totally agree, Bill. And I think that's, Darren, that's probably some of your observations as well. You can get guys to come, and you don't have to have the structure of the, you know, the business meeting and those things. If you can just get to the discussion stage and, and the education piece, it's it's always well received. So, well, we are getting close to the end of our hour, and uh, I want to give Bill and Darren uh, just some last, uh, a chance, a last comments, observations, and as we get ready to wrap up your The Worshipful Master episode. Darren? Thanks, Greg. So, in summary, uh, you're going to be a Worshipful Master. What do you need to do? Uh, Have a plan. I should say have a plan and then have a plan in case that plan doesn't go to plan. Uh, Don't take things personally. Find the talents of your brethren and use those talents to uh, your advantage and put them in roles where they will more likely succeed because of their talents. Prioritize education in your agenda or, as Bill mentioned, uh, look to try to have other means of education. And that's one of the beautiful things of COVID is that uh, we've discovered uh, probably more by accident, but some of the brethren may have been doing this prior to, but uh, you can now meet online and you can virtually, you guys don't even have to come out to talk about education or have educational programs. So that's something that you can uh, continue once we go back to quote unquote normal. uh, If uh, guys are willing to just sit and talk about or a book or whatever they want to talk about uh, in terms of education and just honestly breathe and have fun or try to have fun. Uh, Don't let it, uh, some days it's going to be overwhelming. Don't let it get to you. And uh, just remember there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if you're a glutton for punishment like me, there's plenty of opportunity to to do it again and uh, hopefully learn from what mistakes you made and do a better job of it the next time through. So, Bill, what are your final reflections as we wrap up here? I guess, first of all, I'm going to say that I think that I did this, and I think a lot of the younger brethren do did this too, do this too. They go in, they have such high expectations. They think they're going to really just take on the world. They're going to turn this lodge around, especially in that one year at 360-some days that you have as master. You're going to set the world on fire. You're going to make all the brethren love you and all these ideas that you have. There's going to be rainbows and sunshine and unicorns. It's going to be great. Then you get in there and you find out that three quarters of things that you want to do either, you're going to be told, we've never done it that way before. Grand Lodge won't allow it. It's not in our bylaws. There's no way we can do it. We don't have the money for it. Don't be, don't be upset. Just try to make, you know, don't go in there with high expectations, but don't go in there with low. Just try to make the best job as you can. Maybe 
just do baby steps. If you get one thing figured out that you do, maybe try for the next one. But definitely have a calendar planned out. That's the one thing that you really should do is have a calendar of your events that you, you know, the dates that you want to get done. Like if you want to have a past master night figured out for such and such date and this date and this date, have that figured out. If nothing else, at least have that set in stone. That'll go a long way. And like Darren said, don't take it personally. These guys want you to succeed, but they also want you to do it on their terms. But just have fun. It is a club, all to go. I mean, we all take it too seriously sometimes, but it is a club. We all pay money dues-wise. We all do it for fun. So don't get too uptight if it doesn't go exactly the way you want it. And if you like doing it and going through the chairs again, go for it. Or just be like me and probably you'll never do it again, even though I probably will someday. But just go through Try to um, have a decent year and don't go. If you have a bunch of brethren in your line who have the same like mind as you and the same the same views, maybe make a thing with them where each one of you can come up with something to do over the course of your terms. And then maybe as a whole, can you could do this throughout this five, six years that you guys are going to be doing it. Maybe then you could really come up with some change. Hope a lot of, a lot of ideas and like most episodes, we barely scratched the surface on the topic. My view of it is uh, don't shy away from being the worshipful master of your lodge. Have a plan. Write it down. Start talking about it well in advance. Start that bridge uh, building before you ever get to the oriental chair. And if you have ideas, uh, as if you're going through the traditional rotation of junior, senior warden, and then master, Start thinking about those your junior warden year and uh, build that the coalition or the funds or the ideas or the energy so that by the time you hit the East, uh, you can implement a lot of those. And I think it'll uh, vastly improve the experience you have. Uh, I think like Bill and Darren have said, they take your time, enjoy the year. At the end of the, the day, you're a volunteer and a volunteer organization. And uh, I think sometimes we just need to uh, remind ourselves of that from time to time. So we appreciate everybody that has joined us uh, in 2020. Darren and I and Bill, as we kind of talked through this thing in uh, last January, I, I never dreamt that we'd get through 27 episodes and be here in December. Uh, when you join us in 2021, I'm, I think we're going to have a, a little bit of looking back and talk about what we've learned as podcast hosts and much as we've talked about what you've learned as master. So we'll do some reflecting on that after the first of the year, as you wrap up 2020, let me just take a minute and uh, wish you and your family a great holiday season. Uh, I hope you stay safe. I hope 2020 uh, has not been too rough on you and, and it has for a lot of our brothers. So think about uh, your brethren and their families and, uh, really, I, I'd say our, our entire world as we bring hopefully this COVID crisis to a close here in uh, the early part of 21. So again, we appreciate every single listener and tell your friends, uh, share us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, Bill does a great job of keeping us first and foremost in uh, seen on the social media. So with that, we'll wrap it up. And thank you for joining us on Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet again.